Though the Seahawks are off this weekend, they're still in first place and they've got seven games remaining on the schedule. What do they need to do to hold off the 49ers in the second half and win the NFC West? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking it all down in our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, 12? This is Corbin Smith, your lead host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, even on a bye week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a jam-packed Blue Friday episode coming up for you. Even though the Seahawks are not playing this weekend, they're on their bye. They've got seven games remaining. They're currently in first place in the NFC West. We're going to be breaking down what they need to improve upon in the final seven games to hold off the 49ers and win the division, get a home game to open the postseason. And we're also going to play a little bit of this or that, a game here on Blue Friday as well. Really excited about that. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security with Fast Protect technology exclusively from Simply Safe. 24-7 monitoring agents capture evidence to accurately verify a threat for faster police response. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Visit simplysafe.com slash NFL to learn more. Now for your lead story here on the opening drive of our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks, unfortunately, will not be suiting up this weekend. Fans won't have a game to watch. They won't be cheering on their team. I guess the good news, you don't have to worry about a second straight defeat. The team is getting healthier but they're still in first place in the NFC West. And Nick, there's not really any news out there, but we're going to focus in this episode towards the future, these final seven games. And to kick things off here on Blue Friday, we're going to take a look at those final seven games. And really the best part about this, the Seahawks are basically going to be living at Lumen Field, five of their final seven games at home. That's a really big deal, especially when you've already built a 6-4 and four record to put yourself in first place in the division. Now you've got a ton of games at home giving you a better chance to finish off that division championship. Yeah, I mean, with one of those game, home, uh, road games being at L.A., which isn't exactly the uh, you know most the hostile environments you, you can invent in the NFL, um, the other one absolutely is in Kansas City. So um, the two opposite ends of the spectrum as far as their final two road games, as far as environment and what they're up against. But um, overall, I think it is a favorable schedule. I know in the NFL, it's, you know, any given Sunday, especially when it looks like it's, you know, was it three division games? Um, so it's it's going to be a bit of a rock fight there in the NFC West. Um, but I, I do think that on paper, I know that, that football isn't played on paper, <laughs> but on paper, this is a, a favorable uh, second half or faux second half of the schedule. Um, where the Seahawks can really finish strong and if not win the division, at worst, make the playoffs. What we're going to do here for our first segment, let's talk predictions. We've got these seven games left to play, and the Seahawks are trying to fend off the 49ers. Maybe the Cardinals still have a run in them, too, even though they're four and six. They are coming off a big win. The Rams, it's tough to envision them turning things around, but they're the defending champions. So you're trying to fend off those three other teams in the NFC West. 
Let's look at that schedule. And their first game coming out of the bye, they're going to be hosting the Las Vegas Raiders, who have been arguably the biggest disappointment in the NFL. Josh McDaniels, there's a lot of people out there wondering if he might be one and done in Las Vegas. It's a talented team that has had a lot of injuries, and I think that has played into it. As you mentioned, any given Sunday, you can't take an opponent lightly. The Raiders still have a lot of talent. They've got Derek Carr and Devontae Adams by themselves, can do a lot of damage. But this feels like a game to me that the Seahawks should be able to win fairly handily, especially because the Raiders' defense has been atrocious, stopping the run and stopping the pass. They haven't been able to rush the passer as well as they thought they were going to. It's at Lumen Field, coming off a bye. I feel pretty confident the Seahawks are going to find a way to win that game. I do too. The Raiders are a mess. And um, I've never been super high on Josh McDaniels as a head coaching candidate. He's a fine coordinator. He's one of those guys that think that really has his niche as a coordinator. He's had a couple of goes at head coach. I just don't know if he's got that material. It might not be fair with one year, um, but it's, yeah, the, the Raiders are a mess. And so I expect the Seahawks to, to win, especially at home. Even if this game was in Vegas, I would expect the Seahawks um, not only to win, but you know, a lot of 12s wouldn't mind traveling to Vegas and, and, and filling that place. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and chalk this up in a win. And now I think what's interesting, Corbin, is this next game against uh, the at the L.A. Rams, um, you know, with with both team. We haven't the Seahawks have not played the Rams yet this year. Defending Super Bowl champions. They're kind of a bit of a mess. Um, but I am a little hesitant to call this a win. Um, and this might be where we differ, Corbin, because just, you know, any again, the any given Sunday thing. It's not always what you think on paper, especially with division opponents on the road. Um, the Seahawks typically don't play well in L.A. I know they beat the Chargers and kind of got over that mental hump, but I'm going to actually chalk this up as an L, um, just you know, just the attrition of, of divisional games, especially on the road. I worry about number 99 every time the Seahawks play the Rams, and he's still healthy. So as long as Aaron Donald's there, that's a problem. With that being said, I actually think this Seahawks team matches up better with the Rams than what they have in recent seasons, especially with Cooper Cup not being able to play in this game. That is going to be a big deal. Now, Cooper Cup may be back for their season finale game at Lumen Field, but he will not be playing in that game. He's now on injured reserve. He's undergoing ankle surgery. That is a huge loss for the Rams. Matthew Stafford has been banged up with an elbow injury. He's had a concussion recently. Their offensive line is an absolute disaster. They can't run the football. I just am not sold on them being able to do enough to beat the Seahawks. So I actually think Seattle goes into L.A. and gets that win fairly handily. I just think they match up better against that Rams team than they have in recent seasons. Now, the upcoming week, this is truly a trap game. The Carolina Panthers in Week 14 coming to Lumen Field. Carolina is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Seattle should win that game. But this is one that I circled thinking that might be a one that this young team with all these rookies – that might be a game to be on upset alert. That said, I still think Seattle wins that game. I think they win their first three games coming out of the bye. I just think Seattle's a much better team than Carolina. Even if they start Baker Mayfield in that game, who I still think is their best quarterback, even if the numbers don't bear that out, they've got enough holes on that roster. And we've seen them go out and have really flat performances in multiple games this year, what Cincinnati did to them a few weeks ago. They've had their good games too. They've been very up and down, but I think Seattle wins that game. And they improved to 9-4 and four coming out of the bye week. I feel pretty good about those first three games, and then there's some tough ones coming up after that. Yeah, definitely the Carolina game I think is very winnable. They're pretty bad all around. 30th in total team DVOA, if you keep track of that stat, one of the worst in the, in the league. Not very explosive, especially you know they traded away um, Christian McCaffrey. Your team will usually only get worse when you get rid of their best player. 
Um, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll take that as a win. And then here's another interesting kind of intersection. The 49ers at home, usually, at least with in the Russell Wilson era, the Seahawks have really had the 49ers number, no matter how talented or good the, the 49ers seem to be. And they have had some great teams in the last decade, much like the Seahawks. And this year, I think they're a very fine team. They're not, I don't think they're a dominant team. I don't, I'm not sure how far they'll go if they make the playoffs in the 49ers, but I think there's some pieces there, especially with D, oh, DJ McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, um, and just just some of the, the explosiveness he adds and the versatility. That game worries me, even if it is in Seattle, just with some of the matchups and the speed. Um, can, can they keep up in a game like that? I'm not sure they can, and this might not be a year where they match up well with the 49ers. Yeah, I don't have a matching up well in that game either. That is the first loss that I have in the second half. And, and, and I think it'll be a close game, especially because that's Seattle. I think these teams match up fairly well. But there's just something about the strengths of this 49ers team. We saw it in week two. I expect it's going to be a lot closer than that first matchup. Seattle is a much better team than they were at that stage of the season. Uh, but I, I just I think the 49ers are just one of those teams that they just don't match up well on paper with the Seahawks from a negative standpoint. I just think San Francisco is going to be able to win that football game on Thursday night football at Lumen Field. So chalk that up as a loss. Seahawks get swept by the 49ers. And then we go into the final home stretch, the final three games. Real quick, rattling through these. I don't like Seattle's chances of going to Kansas City on Christmas Eve and beating Patrick Mahomes. To me, that is the toughest game they have left on their schedule. Very difficult road environment. In fact, I could see that game getting ugly even with how well the Seahawks have played. If they can run the ball, control the clock, maybe they have a chance, but uh, that's going to be a really difficult one. So I have them losing both those games at home to San Francisco and on the road to the Chiefs. And then I am finishing up on a winning note. The New York Jets are a much better team, but I still don't trust Zach Wilson. I know BYU guy over there, but I do not trust him to win a game against Geno Smith right now. Geno Smith is the far superior quarterback. I think Seattle can run the football against him. The Jets are an upstart team, but I think the Seahawks win that one. And I think they sweep the Rams because going back to the 49ers thing, you know, the 49ers are not a good matchup. I just think the Rams, especially the injuries they've got, the offensive line struggles, it's a good matchup for the Seattle Seahawks this year. So I think they win that one. And I think they finish the year off with 11 wins and five losses. And I think that would be given a really good chance to win this division because the 49ers have some other very challenging games in the second half of their schedule. Yeah, I agree 100% on the Kansas City game. That That's really tough, especially it, maybe the Christmas Eve thing will add some electricity to that as well um, in favor of KC. And then the Jets, yeah, they're, I think uh, that's going to be a little bit of a more battle than people think. They have a really, really good defense. They're sixth uh, in defensive DVOA. They're third in the NFL and expected points contributed on defense. Very, very talented, you know, consensus top 10, maybe even in some respects top five defense in the NFL. Um, but yeah, much like uh, your mom's friends, you shouldn't trust Zach Wilson either. Um, <laughs> had to throw that in there. Anyway, um, he is improving. He's shown some improvement from last year, but he is very much a roller coaster ride. Um, but if the Jets can run the ball well and play the defense they have, then they're going to be a handful. But it, giving it, you know, on New Year's Day in Seattle, I think there's enough factors there where it'll favor the Seahawks. And then I think they flip around and do beat the Rams at home to finish so, um, in my in my book with uh, with two straight strong wins. We'll talk about what the Seahawks need to do in the second half to make sure they do win the NFC West. We're going to get to that coming up next. Areas of improvement for the current NFC West leaders so they can maintain their division lead. 
through the end of the season. We'll get to that here in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Tommy John. Getting stuck in Black Friday crowds, that's super uncomfortable. Shopping Tommy John's Black Friday sale from your couch, that's super duper comfortable. When you give your loved ones Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's Black Friday sale right now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself, with brand new Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas with over 18 million pairs sold. Giving Tommy John has become a holiday tradition. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't just have customers. They have fanatics. I personally love wearing Tommy John because they're beyond comfortable, and they're not just stay-at-home apparel either. You should get Tommy John, too. Every gift is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free, guarantee. Shop Tommy John's Black Friday sale going on right now and get 30% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash locked on. 30% off everything right now at TommyJohn.com slash locked on. See the website for details. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host, Nick Lee. Special thanks to all the 12s out there on the bye week for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Nick, continuing to look towards the second half of the schedule, the Seahawks off this weekend, but then the second half begins. They're currently in first place by just half a game. The 49ers would move back into first place because they hold the tiebreaker against the Seahawks if they win this weekend. And so we may have our show on Monday be talking about the second place Seahawks, but for now they are in first place to stay atop the division they're going to have to get better the final seven games. We just mentioned there's some really difficult games. So looking at areas of improvement, things the Seahawks must accomplish to fulfill their goal of winning this division by the end of the season. Nick, what's the first thing that jumps out to you that this team has to accomplish here in the next seven games? Well, the offense has done a lot of good things. Um, they've been explosive at times. They've controlled the line of scrimmage at times. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is the red zone conversions is not settling for three, getting six, seven points when, when you have an opportunity. You saw with the, in, the, in the Bucks game, they had two trips to the red zone. One was a touchdown, one was a strip sack. Um, so that, that, uh, that percentage can't, can't keep going. They're 26th in the NFL in red zone percentage and in, in a red zone conversion into touchdowns. It's less than 50%. So less than 50% of the time they're getting to the red zone, they score a touchdown. That's problematic. And especially if you want to, if you have, you know, visions of winning this division, that is something that absolutely needs to improve. Because really, if you look at the playoff picture, not only are the 49ers at just a half game out, the Seahawks are actually only a full game away from not being in a playoff picture. The Washington Commanders are five and five, um, just uh, outside looking in um, on that last wild card spot. And so they're only one, one game out. So the Seahawks have no room to be complacent. They must put the pedal down. And that includes in the red zone. Yeah, the red zone has been a big issue for the Seahawks most of this season, and they had a great game against the Cardinals in week nine, only to come back and then have that huge fumble that Geno Smith lost, and that was really a crucial turnover in that football game in Munich, and so they've been very up and down. They've got to be much more consistent. If they could get that up to 55 60% by the end of the season, that might be pushing it. 55% would be probably a really good target point with seven games left to go. If they can do that, then they've got a chance to be able to win this division. 
I know that the run game, and we talked about this earlier this week, coming out of Sunday's game where they could not run the ball at all against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ken Walker III has been sensational for the most part. And not all of this is on him. He's a dynamic talent, but you still got to have blocking out in front. And I think that's the big issue for me here when I look at the Seahawks. For them to win this division, they've got to have improved consistency from their run game. They were held under 40 rushing yards last week. The week before, Walker was under 40 before halftime. They got things going in the second half against the Cardinals. Had a really rough game against the Giants the week before that. Nick, they're 22nd in uh, run block win rate for ESPN. They're 16th in run blocking grade for Pro Football Focus, which ironically is higher than it really has been in a number of years. But still, their offensive line has really struggled in the run game. And, and from my observations, I feel like they probably have been a little bit lower than what I would put them on PFF. I, I think 22 seems about right, that 22-24 range. They have not been one of the better run-blocking teams as a unit. I think their pass protection has been fantastic most of the year. But I'm looking at the interior offensive line specifically. I think the rookie tackles have actually done fairly well, considering expectations as run-blockers. But Aside from Damian Lewis, and Phil Haynes has been solid, but Gabe Jackson's got to play better when he's in the game. And Austin Blythe, that's been the one big issue for him at under 300 pounds, is being able to set the line of scrimmage as a run blocker. He's not expected to be a guy that's going to pull those people, but he struggled in the zone blocking game too. That's been the one hindrance in his game. I think he's been solid in pass pro. His communication has been a huge upgrade for this offensive line, but I'm looking at that interior line specifically. The tackles are going to keep getting better, but the interior O-line has to be more consistent to open up holes for the running backs. If they can do that, I like this team's chances of being able to continue scoring a lot of points, and I think that would pay dividends in the red zone as well. What jumps out to you next looking at these final seven games? Um, the one thing on defense, you know, the one thing can really fix a lot of problems, and that's tackling and, and cleaning up the tackles, and that'll turn – eight, nine, 10 yard gains into two or three yard gains or losses. And that really makes a huge difference. And you're trying to get these offenses off schedule. You're trying to, to put the pressure on them. And um, I, I think I was, I think I was listening to the KJ Wright show on 710 where he was talking about earning the right to rush the passer. And you do that by getting teams off schedule. So they have to throw on third and 11, third and eight. Um, and that's wrapping up guys on, on first and second down, wrapping them up um, when you have a chance. They are, the Seahawks are, have the eighth most missed tackles in the NFL, and they are the worst at that in the NFC West. So that is something that absolutely needs to be cleaned up. And really, if they become average in that category, that'll all of a sudden cover up, I think, a lot of deficiencies you see on the defense, at least on the stat sheet. Yeah, there were a lot of first down conversions that were picked up on third down by the Buccaneers just simply because of missed tackles or poor pursuit angles on Sunday. I think the pursuit angle is actually a bigger deal than the actual tackling was in Germany. And maybe some of that was the footing, but again, both teams were playing on that poor field surface. And so you can't use that as an excuse, obviously. There's not a lot to nitpick with this offense in terms of the way that Shane Waldron has called plays. I love that the tight ends are getting involved this year. That's been a big part of the formula scoring all these points, being a top 10 scoring offense for most of this season. I've liked the design of the run game, even if it hasn't been consistent with the blocking up front. But there's one thing that I'd like to see the Seahawks get back to doing a little bit more. I'm not asking Geno Smith to chuck the ball downfield 40 plus yards, 15 times a game, like Russell Wilson loved to do. I'm not asking that, but, You've got two of the elite deep ball threats in the NFL 
in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And you look at the stats this year, they're still in the top 20 in receptions and receiving yards in the NFL. So from that perspective, they're still reliable star targets. But neither one of them is in double digits for 20-plus yard receptions after 10 games. That's astonishing to me. And they've combined for three receptions of 40-plus yards. I think they've got to find a way. Geno Smith has shown that he can make these throws. And maybe it's Geno is just more risk-averse. And I guess that's okay. We don't want the turnovers. But when you've got star talent that can take the top off of a defense the way that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can – there's got to be a way you can get a few more shot plays to them. I'm not asking these guys to just start slinging it down the field left and right because that's not going to be their game, and it shouldn't be. But I think you got to find ways. If you really want to get your offense over the top, get a few more shots to these guys to really stretch the defense out. That's going to help your run game. It's going to help your, help your uh, short to intermediate passing game. So I think you got to get these receivers, these two stars involved more with the vertical passing game in the second half of the season. And my third point is, is is kind of a weird one. I was just doing some digging on where the Seahawks really need to, to start improving. And I noticed that in the first, second, and fourth quarters, they have scored uh, seven touchdowns or more. And in the set third quarter, they've only scored two all season. Um, and they, they are actually, I think, 21st. They're in the bottom half of the league in both points allowed and points scored in the third quarter. So that means, you know, starting out strong in the second half and um, whether that be you're nursing a small lead into halftime or you're trying to st- you know stage a little bit of a comeback after halftime, they, they haven't really done themselves a ton of favors right out of the gate in the second half. So I think if I have to nitpick something else, it is starting out a bit faster after halftime and and establishing or either reestablishing um, that rhythm that you had in the first half or finding it, changing something and making it work in the third quarter. I'm glad that you mentioned those struggles coming out of halftime because I feel like there have been several games this year, and I don't have all the stats sitting right in front of me. But it feels like the third quarter has really been a struggle getting teams off the field defensively this year. And even with the improvements, in that four-game winning streak, Seattle was near the top of the league in third down percentage. But even with those four games, you add in how poorly they played on third down on Sunday against the Buccaneers, that moved them back down a few pegs. But This team has got to be better on third down in terms of efficiency. Right now, they're 27th in the NFL, 44.5% of the time opponents are converting on third down. They've got to find a way to get that down at least 3 or 4%, get closer to that 40% threshold where you typically see good defenses. And some of this boils down to, and we talked about this coming out of the Buccaneers game, Tampa Bay was getting good, healthy three, four yard runs consistently on first and second down. Tom Brady wasn't taking a lot of shots downfield, but he was getting those short completions that are efficient and they put you in ideal third down situations. Seattle's got to win more on first and second down, getting one or two yard run stops and getting in completions or limiting those completions after the catch. That didn't happen on Sunday. And so I think that you would see, and we saw those four games they won in a row, they were doing a much better job of stifling the opponent on first and second down. And that created more ideal third down situations. It's better to rush the passer in those situations. And Seattle had a bunch more sacks. And that was one of the big reasons they were able to do it. Can you find a way to do that more consistently? Because they're 30th in time of possession right now too. They've got to find a way to get the ball into their offense's hands a little bit more. And that's been a big problem in the third quarter too. There's been some long drives that opposing offenses have had. And then Geno Smith's sitting on the sideline like, well, I'm not going to be able to do anything with that. 
And that was an issue last year. So I actually think that's the biggest thing they have to improve for this entire football team going in the second half. Just be slightly better on third down, a couple extra possessions for the offense. You're probably winning games like the one they lost on Sunday, and that's going to be all the difference trying to win this division. Coming up next, we're going to play a game here on Blue Friday. We don't have any keys to victory with there being a bye week. Haven't figured out what you need to do to win on a bye week. Just stay healthy and don't do anything stupid. But we're going to play a little bit of this or that, looking at a couple of different topics related to the second half and maybe some year-end statistics as well. Should be fun. We're going to get to that here in a moment on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports and wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me today, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. That includes during the bye week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. I feel like it's been a long time since we've played a game on Blue Friday. I know you and I were really excited about this. Bye week gives us a little extra time to be able to fit stuff like this into our schedule. So without further ado, let's play a little bit of this or that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have two different players. We're going to have a statement on the two players, and we're going to decide which one is more likely to happen over these final seven games of the season so nick let's get to our first one here and it's geno smith and tyler lockett on one hand geno smith sets a new nfl completion rate record beats drew Brees' previous mark or tyler lockett moves into second place for 100 yard games in seahawks franchise history just as a heads up nick tyler lockett needs three of those to move into second place by himself in the final seven games Geno Smith, he's got to get to close to 75%. I believe Drew Brees was at 74.8% in 2018. He's just a hair below 73% right now. Yeah, this was honestly one of the easier ones for me. Um, Tyler Lockett getting three 300-yard games, or three 100-yard games, excuse me, um, is is very attainable for him. He's one of the more talented and reliable um, receivers in the NFL. And for Geno Smith, he's already kind of behind pace a little bit there. And um, the the record I had was seventy four point four. I might have I might have uh, missed that. May that be correct. Years. Yeah, I think I'm. Yeah, I think um, there was a year that he had seventy three point eight. That's probably where. Yeah, I yeah. So yeah, I have the record of seventy four point four for Drew Brees, and Geno Smith is at seventy two point eight, I believe, right now. Um, so he's he does lead the NFL, which give him credit for that. But a- asking him to you know average seventy five percent per game. He's done that, let's see, one, two, three, four times this year where he's exceeded 75%. So he's been very efficient, um, but asking him to do that down the stretch, we've already seen just a touch of regression with that as well. Um, so I think that's going to be a tall task. So I'm going to go um, – it's funny because one might help the other with 
you just keep feeding Tyler Lockett, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'm going to go. It's more likely that Tyler Lockett gets three 100 yard games. I'm actually going to go the other direction, surprisingly, because Ooh. this is, I talked about it a little bit ago. The chunk plays have not been there for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And because of that, there's been a lot of games where they've been in the 50, 60, 70 yard range, but not a lot of 100 yard performances. Some of that just has to do with the way that Geno Smith plays quarterback. He likes the short to intermediate game. He'll take the shots downfield some, but that's not his bread and butter. And that lends itself to a higher completion rate. And I look at some of the opponents they've got coming up, teams like the Carolina Panthers, the Raiders, at the end of the season, finishing up with the Rams, who I know they've got some really good defensive players, but they've actually had their struggles on that side of the ball at times this year. I just look at the schedule, and it favors Geno Smith to have several games where he is around that 75% mark. So I don't know that either one of these is going to happen. But if I had to hedge bets, I actually think Geno Smith right now, who has the fourth-best completion percentage through 10 games in NFL history, is right there with where Drew Brees was at several times in his career. Probably the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, Drew Brees was. Geno Smith is right there at number four. So I actually would lean towards Geno Smith. Our next one here, we're going to go to running back and receiver. This or that. Ken Walker the third rushes for 1,100 yards or DK Metcalf scores 10 touchdowns for the third straight year. Well, let's do some math for this one, as, as I, like, I like to do a little math with my sports here. So um, to reach 1,100 yards, Ken Walker, he's at 587 now, I believe it is. And so he would need to average in the final seven games about 73 yards per game to reach that mark, um, which is totally doable. He's already done. He's already exceeded that amount four times this season in nine games. So um, I think that's entirely, entirely possible. I mean, both of these are possible. I just think there's a that DK Metcalf has a bit more ground to make up in that in that regard. He's got four touchdowns and needs six more, which averages out. So just just a tick under one touchdown per game which he absolutely can do. But as far as if we're playing percentages, I, I would hedge a bet on Ken Walker III averaging 73 yards per game versus DK Metcalf almost averaging an entire touchdown per game. Yeah, as long as Ken Walker III stays healthy, 1,100 yards is actually pretty attainable. 73 yards per game. I mean, Pete Carroll, if you told him, I was like, man, if that's all we're averaging with our star running back the next seven games. I'm not liking our chances of winning very many football games. So I think that one has a very good chance to happen. And I think there's a decent chance Metcalf can get to 10 touchdowns. I know he only has four through the first 10 games of the season, but two of those have happened in the last three games. And it does seem like Geno Smith is making a little bit more of a concerted effort, not forcing it, but he's getting the football to DK Metcalf. I think some of those touchdowns are going to start happening in the second half. I don't know if it's enough to get to 10, but I think Ken Walker III is the much safer one because 73 rushing yards per game, he can do that. Just got to keep him healthy. Metcalf can get to 10 too. Both these are attainable. I just think Walker's has a much better chance of happening. Let's go to the offensive line now for our third one, this or that. Charles Cross allows two or less sacks in the final seven games, or Phil Haynes logs 75-plus percent of the snaps at right guard. We have to dive a little deep for this one. Um, I I believe (laughs) I have Charles Cross at four sacks allowed this year um, per pro football focus, if I'm not mistaken. So four sacks allowed through 10 games or so. And if you average, if you flush that out, that's about 2.5 games per one sack allowed. With seven games left, that's a tick under three uh, sacks allowed on that same pace. But I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to err on, on on the side of that. He's going to continually improve. He's a rookie. 
He's still getting kind of his NFL sea legs in him, and he has really shown out that he belongs. And I think the more comfortable he gets, the more experience he gets, the more you know battle-tested he becomes, the better he's going to be. So I think that he's not going to keep up that same pace. I really think that um, Charles Cross can can meet that or two sacks or less allowed um, for the final seven games. If you know, he's, he's had a pretty solid season already, and I think he's only going to get better. So um, that and, and Phil Haynes, I believe he's only exceeded 66% of the offensive snaps twice this year. I know that it's probably trending towards him playing more in the, in the last seven games, but I, I just like Charles Cross's chances of, of continually improving and, and not allowing more than two. Yeah, that last one with Metcalf and Walker, I felt like both those were pretty attainable. This one, I feel like both these might not be. Now, Charles Cross, two sacks in seven games, that's definitely doable, especially because he's playing really well the last couple of weeks. No sacks, no pressures allowed against the Buccaneers. And even without Shaquille Barrett, they've still got some pretty solid guys rushing off the edge, and it's an aggressive defense that blitzes a lot, puts a lot of you know, puts a lot of pressure on your offensive line in general. I think two and seven is doable, but then again, you got to play Nick Bosa. He could get those two sacks in one game working against Charles Cross. On the other side of the coin, it, I've been saying this, and it's not even knocking Gabe Jackson, but Phil Haynes is playing better in all facets. I've been saying that since week two. I don't know that they're going to move away from this platoon that they're doing right now, though, because it's working pretty well. It's allowing them to keep both guys fresh. But if they were going to play one guy, I would say that it's going to be Phil Haynes. I just don't think he gets to that 75% threshold. I think the cross thing has a better chance of happening, but I'm not sure that I could see either one of these happening. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the football now. This is going to be a really fun one, Nick. I know you were psyched about this one going into the show. Daryl Taylor leads the Seahawks in sacks, or Uchenna Nuosu leads the NFL in sacks. Pretty interesting uh, dynamic here on this one. <laughs> Yeah, I guess both of these can't happen by default. Or yeah, so um, this is definitely one or the other. Man, um, just looking at where there are, Daryl Taylor has three, four behind Nuosu's seven so far, um, and Jenna Nuosu is four and a half off the pace of eleven and a half sacks as the current clubhouse leader in sacks for the NFL. So um, if you're going strictly on who has a, a smaller gap to close, it would be Daryl Taylor. Um, and also for me, you know, with Jenna Nuosu, he has the entire league is competition to reach that mark to lead the NFL. Whereas now Taylor pretty much has no Osu. That's about it. As far as competition to, for, uh, for leading the team in sacks. And so basically I have, I think it's more likely that Daryl Taylor gets hotter as Nuosu kind of maybe cools off a bit. than Nuosu continues this, this crazy pace to, you know, 13, 14 sacks. And even then that probably won't be enough. Um, just with the, the, the premier talent pass rushing around the league. Um, we might, I don't know if we'll get, you know, a TJ Watt kind of season this year, um, but we'll, we'll definitely approach 20, I think. And I don't think Nuosu will have that much in the tank to get there. I think he's having a fine season, a Pro Bowl season, uh, dare I say. Um, but I think that the odds are in Daryl Taylor's favor to get hot. Well, maybe having time to catch Nuosu is Nuosu might be, not be able to maintain that pace. Yeah, and this isn't even taking a shot at, Ch at Chenna Nuosu because the season he's had, but he's already got a career high in sacks. And sacks can be one of those things that are fleeting. Like you can get a bunch of them in a three or four game span and then go three or four games without one. And it doesn't mean that you're not playing well. You might be generating pressure, but the quarterback's getting rid of the ball, or you're pressuring and then a teammate ends up getting the sack. So it can be difficult to project sacks. And Daryl Taylor has strip sacks in two of his past three games. I feel like he has heated up some. 
in this situational role they're using him in. They're going to be playing some teams that really like to throw the football in the second part of the season, too. So I actually would be leaning towards Taylor on this one, too. I just think it's going to be really difficult for Nuosu to actually jump up to the top of the NFL in sacks. It's not going to be easy for Taylor to make up that four-sack discrepancy. But at the same time, we've seen what he's capable of doing when he gets hot. If he gets a couple games where he gets multiple sacks, boom, he's right back in it, and you've got seven games to do that. So I would lean towards Daryl Taylor on that one too. All right, this is another fun one on defense. Jordan Brooks racks up 195 tackles. That would be a new franchise record for a second straight year. Or Tariq Woolen expands on his rookie record and intercepts eight or more passes. Oh, man, this is both of these are pretty beefy numbers. Um, <laughs> man, I, I think that Jordan Brooks, he's just a tackling machine, man. Like he just he's quietly racking him up 106 through 10 games to 10.6. So, yeah, that he would have to pick up the pace a little bit um, to reach the 195. But that has for me, I'm going to go with what needs less luck. And Tariq Wallen is starting to build a reputation. And that will cause him to see less targets. And sometimes interceptions, you got to get a bit lucky. You got to be in the right position. You got to have you know clean look at the ball and, and catch it. And guys got to throw your way. And that's not always going to be the case, especially now as he builds more of a reputation as one of the better younger corners, more talented young corners in the entire NFL. Um, there's a little less luck involved in what Jordan Brooks does on the defense as, as just a vacuum cleaner. So I, I'm going to go with Jordan Brooks. I know that's a that's a toothy number. That's a big beefy number at 195. But I think just the odds of that happening are better just because teams might start shying away from Tariq Woolen and the interception number has a bit of luck involved, whereas Brooks is just going to keep racking up tackles right and left. You look at the pacing and both of these are about on pace, maybe just a tick below. Like you said, Jordan Brooks would need to get a few more tackles mixed in there in these final seven in terms of off of his pace, but he's not that far off. And Tariq Woolen with five interceptions in the first 10 games, if you're looking at 15, uh, he'd be at seven and a half if you're playing 15 games. So he's actually right on that pace, but interceptions are so difficult to, again, it's another thing like sacks. They're difficult to project. And you mentioned it. Quarterbacks are already not throwing as much at him because they know, you know what, that guy's a freak athlete and he's going to jump the football and he's going to pick me off if I keep testing him. Kyler Murray hasn't learned that yet and he's paid for it. He probably could have been picked again two weeks ago. He's busy playing Modern Warfare too, so that's okay. (laughs) But yeah, I, I think that both these are doable, but I think that the tackling one is probably the one that is more likely to happen. I could see Woolen getting to eight interceptions. He could get three picks in the final seven games. He's already had a four games in a row streak with picks earlier this year. It's just I don't know that the targets are going to necessarily be there for him. If teams do keep throwing the ball at him, then you have a chance. So I would go with Brooks being the safer bet here. I think they're both doable, though, on this particular one. Really fun one, real quick. Pete Carroll passes Mike Holmgren for all-time wins. He needs four victories to do that. And Jason Myers makes at least eight 50-plus yard field goals. He has made five of them so far. I don't know about you, Nick, but this one actually seems pretty easy to me. Yeah, I, I think Pete Carroll going four and three in the last seven games of this season. That's what I had him, and I, I that's what I have the Seahawks going in the, in the second half. You had a five and two, I believe. Um, and I think that mine was a bit of a conservative one. So 
Um, I could easily see the Seahawks rattling off five more wins this year. So I'm going to go with the Pete Carroll. I, I think Pete Carroll is going to going to get to that number. Not you know, Jason Myers has had a pretty pretty good season, especially a bounce back year from last year. I'm hoping they don't need him to do that because I'm hoping the offense pushes down the field and actually yeah. scores touchdowns. <laughs> um, but as far as again playing the odds, I, I I think the odds are more in favor of Pete Carroll going at worst four and three. And the Seahawks are going to be playing some games in they're going to be playing five of their final seven at home. And we know the weather is going to be potentially a major impact for kickers. And so long field goals are going to be difficult to come by. Now, when they're down in LA, he's already shown that he can make 50 plus yard field goals. And maybe Pete Carroll will be more willing to give him those chances with how efficient he's been. But I just don't know that he's even going to get three more 50 plus yard kicks the rest of the season, let alone making three of them. Pete Carroll's got a better chance to get the four wins in seven games. And it would be the second time he's passed Mike Holmgren. He passed him for the Seahawks all-time winning record. Now he would pass him for all-time wins with all teams, which would be an accomplishment given the head coach that Mike Holmgren was for the Packers and the Seahawks during his time with both those teams. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and stream it five days a week on youtube coming up on monday we'll be back to game week we're going to start shifting the gears towards the las vegas raiders i'll be rejoined by rob rang and of course we'll answer your mailbag questions that we do each and every monday enjoy your weekend enjoy the stress-free weekend without seahawks playing go hawks